0: You have taken the land which is rightfully ours. Years from now, my people will be forced to live in mobile homes on reservations. Your people will wear cardigans and drink highballs. My people will have pain and degradation. Your people will have stick shifts. The gods of my tribe have spoken. They have said, do not trust the pilgrims.
1: Garrett McQueen. I'm Scott Blankenship. And this is Triloquy, the classical music podcast with Pulitzer Prize winning guests. We can now officially officially say that.
0: First it was Wayne Shorter, now a, Pul- a Pulitzer Prize winner. How do
1: you do it? nam ho renge kyo Absolutely So you're <laughs> manifesting Positive energy All right Yes, absolutely uh, I want to um, uh, give a huge shout out And thank you to Allison Van Etten For uh, setting up my conversation with uh, Anthony Davis uh, Today We're going to talk a little bit about um, His Pulitzer Prize winning piece of music uh, Central Park 5 um, Also a little bit about the composition We call the role That I had um, Scott, if you remember Back when Abe Hunter was on the podcast That was that was the big Termination Pod. Uh, Uh, Opus of the podcast Um, So that was for that project uh, In conjunction with the Lead Society Mm. The world premiere of We Call the Roll By uh, Anthony Davis We're going to talk a little bit about that And we're going to talk a little bit about his piece of music You Have the Right to Remain Silent Which was streamed this past weekend um, Featuring Anthony McGill And the Cincinnati uh, Symphony Orchestra So really looking um, forward to Sharing that conversation uh, with everyone Uh, This Opus of Triloquy This 76th Opus. Is that correct? That's 70, right. 76. You got it. Getting up there. This 76th Opus of Triloquy is made possible in part by Make Music NOLA. This is an organization that I'm going to talk a little bit more about um, within the Opus and the first movement. Um, but just to give you a, a quick preview, uh, Make Music NOLA describes their programs as music for social change. They're a string um, instrument uh, education initiative, uh, both after school and summer, and throughout the year, down in New Orleans, um, make music. Novice programs are open to any student in Orleans Parish who is eligible for free or reduced lunch. So this is a program, Scott, that any child, any of these um, at risk or or, or uh, underprivileged kids, can engage with for free, and they're getting education that is not only um, you know in that so-called classical tradition learning how to play violins and cellos, but it's equitable in that they're learning about the black traditions in that genre and also the local traditions, how you tie in local culture with um, education. So I'm going to talk a little bit um, about them and their um, executive director. Um, There is a job. I have just a few more announcements here. There is a job. I don't even plan on it anymore. I just Um, by the uh, uh posted by the national philharmonic that um i was asked to um announce to the people and your deadline you li- if you're listening to this on drop day on wednesday you have until this coming monday november 30th to turn in your application the national philharmonic is looking for a director of marketing pay range starting at 75k not bad especially during a covid year right? is that good
0: in washington dc
1: it, it's it's probably decent you know washington dc is expensive but yeah. you know 75k again if you're looking for a job during COVID, and you you know have the qualifications for the director of marketing you know truth the, Go, go for it go do it I'm I'm, um, I'm working on a project with the National Philharmonic that I'll tell y'all about next week but I'm in the rooms talking about equitable hiring and y'all need to hire black people at X, Y, and Z so if you are in the field of arts administration in any way and you're um, interested in that opportunity just go to their website nationalphilharmonic.org the downbeat was brought to us by Wednesday Adams love Wednesday Adams <laughs> it's the scene from that movie is problematic on many levels, but what Wednesday is saying, I think is important to revisit this time every year. So we'll get into that little bit of, uh, of, of conversation in the Triloquy. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk about, um, in addition to Anthony Davis's music, other Pulitzer Prize-winning um, music and uh, music composers, including George Walker um, and Kendrick Lamar. Um, we have some Megan Thee Stallion to get into, um, some Sia to talk about, and, and lots one. more. Yeah, so let's get into to it. So I just want to remind the people, I feel like, Scott, we have to refresh the folks every now and again, maybe eight weeks or so on the accidentals, just to make sure we're not leaving anyone behind. Not
0: to mention the fact that we always forget to assign right. an accidental.
1: So, <laughs> <laughs> right. I, and I made a note to myself, do not forget to talk about the accidentals today. So if if you know all of this, I'm sorry, but just, you know, again, making sure we're not leaving anyone behind. In music, you have things called accidentals, sharps, flats, or naturals, and they alter, you know, the note, and, and right. we won't get into the music theory. Of it or or whatever, but uh, here on Triloquy we like to um, talk about in this first movement sort of the newsy things and the arts for the week that stood out to us, and we put a sharp next to it, which most times means something good, or if it doesn't mean exactly that, we'll explain a flat, which usually means something not so good, and a natural that we usually explain when it comes to whatever. So, so my first sharp. With all that said, <laughs> nice. My first sharp for um, for this first movement. Um, is in honor of Michelle kan, uh, who, um who is a phenomenal pianist. Michelle Cann was actually the last interview I had down at WUOT, and it was a great way to, you know, tie a bow on that uh, leg on my career. Um, I'm reading here from the Inquirer. Um, it says, Curtis Institute... The Philadelphia Inquirer. Yes, thank you. It says, the Curtis Institute names pianist Michelle Cannes to new chair honoring legacy professor Eleanor Solikoff. So, First and foremost, the Curtis Institute. A lot of people don't know about this school maybe or
0: No, I was I was one. You gotta lay out how it, it didn't it's less than one percent of the applicants that get into the,
1: the Curtis? Yeah, yeah. So for folks who don't know, the Curtis Institute is one of the music schools where I uh, and the what what Scott is talking about, um They list all the rankings of how difficult it is to get into whatever school across the country. And, you know, people instantly think of the Harvards and the MITs and stuff, which, you know, obviously they're high up on that list. But at the top, if not near the top, um, every year is the Curtis Institute. Now, it's only music. And they admit something like less than a percent of their uh, of uh, of their applicants. I know in bassoon. Shout out to Aaron Apaza, who I used to play with down in Knoxville. He went to Curtis. He he was uh, lucky enough to get into Curtis. But they take one bassoon every year. So imagine, you know, if I'm a bassoonist, you know, wanting to go to this school out of everyone else who wants to go there as well, they're only going to take one of us. It's kind of like winning a job. So you know, for Michelle can um, to. To get this position and then be uh, to be named after this legendary uh, pianist Eleanor Solikoff is historic on many levels so Michelle Kahn did go to Curtis so first of all she had the chops to get there and then to go back to be teaching uh, these you know highly skilled highly trained um, highly talented musicians for them to be getting the black side mm-hmm. of the uh, training you know um, uh, you know Michelle's very uh, unique flavor on repertoire are, you know what will be taught you know I think it's huge. it's It's a big step in, in the most tra- one of the most traditional classical institutions.
0: First off, big congratulations to Michelle for reaching that milestone and uh, cracking that glass ceiling that ceiling of, it wouldn't be glass, but you get the point. Um, my question is is if they if you have to have so much skill and, and development to get into Curtis, What do you leave with? (laughs) Um, What special
1: sauce does Curtis have that others don't? And you see, in asking that question, you're highlighting something that I don't like to lean on a whole bunch when I talk about classical music and classical musicians. As difficult as it is to get into that school, that's a minor hurdle, a, a minor obstacle In light of winning a job, A A, and B, Winning a job in one of these top orchestras, or as many of uh, Michelle's students uh, will do, go off into these solo careers. That's the difficult part. So it's really only the the creme de la creme de la creme who, um, you know, really make it out there. One one of these uh, weeks, uh, I'm going to ask Aaron on the podcast, and the three of us uh, can talk, and maybe he'll give you uh, a little bit more perspective on that. I mean, let's—I mean, think about— when you got your your current job you know it was a, a highly coveted job that a lot of people were um vying you know, for. Uh, buying for but also qualified for not not even vying for now as as tight of a gap As that is, you know, someone who has a radio voice, has knowledge of Western classical music, can engage, blah, 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 you know, all of the specific things, can can create a narrative, all the specific things you need. Imagine if it were even narrower talking about, and you have to know how to play this instrument, you know, so... It's, it's it's really incredible to get into that school. There are things that challenge me about structures like those when we talk about access because I could have never been prepared as a teenager to... Audition for the Curtis Institute—that is just something that was impossible for me. When I think about my development and where I come from, and all. so with all that being said, you know, huge congratulations to Michelle Can. Uh, the piece of music. So when she came to Knoxville, I interviewed her. She was playing with the Knoxville Symphony. So she was playing. Um, so, but she was there as the concerto performer. She brought in um, Gershwin's uh, Rhapsody in Blue, but along with it. Florence prices single movement piano concerto that we've had on on this podcast sure. um, before and one of the points that she made on that uh, radio special that I uh, did with her at wot you know we have all of this um, music that we know and love and perform by the Gershwins and all these other jazzy people but just refuse to put on the Florence price and it's it sounds crazy now that people wouldn't consider Florence price because she's the first name that people go to now but even back in 2016 2017 it was it wasn't so common to see her programmed uh, on a concert so you know that is a piece of music that michelle takes everywhere she goes when she performs and i'm sure it's going to be integral to the education of her students you know all of those students you know, black, um, white, Asian, whatever they are, they will have that much more of a grasp and understanding of that music, which will go out into whoever they perform it for. And so, yeah, these these key positions, Hmm. you know, these these key positions are, are, are really incredible. So I also wanted, before we get into, you know, some of the the less feel-goody stuff in this first movement, I also wanted to offer a sharp to Laura Patterson, the executive director of Make Music NOLA, uh, which I uh, told you a little bit about in the announcements. Um, So I was first engaged by Make Music Nola to do some consultation and, you know, uh, find out what they're doing and how they can make their work more equitable. Well, the more I learned about this organization, the more I felt like I wasn't qualified to uh, talk with them on that level because what they're doing is already there, you know. Um, So I ended up hosting their uh, 10-year anniversary event uh, with DJ but. Butterscotch and uh, DJ (laughs) uh, Bryce. Nice. Uh, So a huge shout out to them. Um, Scott, I wanted to mention this. I was so moved by this performance of I'll Fly Away with these little um, kids, you know, beginners, um, you know, sort of no shade, scratching on their instruments as beginners do. I actually love that sound. It it sounds like the beginning of a a bright future. So anyway, you have that Mm. beginner music Um, sound, next to, you know, their their professionals that are helping them there, next to this incredible singer whose name is Giovanna Joseph, singing this tune, um, I'll Fly Away, which has historical um, uh, significance down there in New Orleans. I was was moved by the cross-generational, deep Deeply cultural experience that I was seeing. I wonder if um, you, I know you've never been to New Orleans, but I haven't. But when it comes to um, where you are from, Omaha, I wonder if you could see a strings program or some sort of music education program that taps into the music of that part of the country, which from my perspective would be some sort of roots something or I don't know. It's
0: interesting that you bring that up because after Katrina, there was sort of a minor exodus of certain residents of all along the coastline of Louisiana and Texas ended up settling in Lincoln and Omaha, Nebraska. Mm -hmm. Um, That's where we got some really great Cajun restaurants, obviously. Okay, But at the same time, part of that exodus had musicians, visual artists, dancers that ignited a whole new pocket of of um, culture yeah. in, in, in the Omaha scene, most definitely.
1: Would you say that... So I guess what I'm asking, though, is, is there something or things musical things unique to Omaha that you think could be further in gay or, or further um, integrated into how kids learn how to play instruments or, or learn music. What, what I imagine from, from your taste in music is more of the sound of Omaha. What I was saying is that roots sound.
0: Sure. But I would probably go back further and get into some of the indigenous music because Hmm. uh, Pawnee was uh, one tribe that was in that area. Um, I'm not even going to try to list it because I'll miss something, but um, that was something that I do remember. Mrs. Sutton, my uh, grade school music teacher who went around to many schools. So she was only there on Tuesdays and Thursdays for a couple hours. And, and she would always bring in some drums and flutes. Mm. And, you know, we, we listened to in uh, very short snippets of, you know, indigenous uh, traditional music. So, I would go back further to that.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and, and my I guess my challenge is, well, first and foremost, that should be a part of the education system across the board, you know, even music even more classical than the Negro spiritual when we talk about uh, this part of the sure. world. Sure. Um, I think what's unique, I, I shouldn't use the word challenge, but I think what's unique about You know, the way that Make Music NOLA is incorporating that is that there is an application for that education outside of that classroom. It's not, you know, some historical or purely academic thing. It's Mm. something that applies to the culture. If you can play, you know, a really cool bluesy um, clarinet, if you learn how to do that down in New Orleans or trumpet or something, Mm -hmm. obviously you're going to have some work, right? Sure. I think it could be the same for a violin or a viola or a cello as as that gets further um, yeah i think so integrated so i hope more cities um uh if you have a, a music program somewhere or thinking about a music program i would highly suggest that you check out make music nola their uh, website here is make music um engage the sound of your community I, th- I think about memphis and the blues and all that sort of thing you know What if I had learned to do some blues improvisations on bassoon as a teenager? Maybe I wouldn't have gotten into Curtis, but I would have been able to go get a go make some money down on Beale Street.
0: Why not? (laughs)
1: Why not? Or just stand on the corner with a hat at your feet. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that too. I've I've never done it. And I've always been tempted. I don't know. I've always wanted to see just how much money would I make? Let's stand outside with the bassoon. (laughs) Not now because it's winter, but, you know, stand outside somewhere with the bassoon for, let's say, three hours and just play some stuff. And how much money would I make? If I make some money, that might be the next. I'm doing a lot of side hustles these days. I'm not above playing the bassoon. What if you walked away with (laughs) a hundred bucks? For three hours work. I mean, $33, $33 an hour is more than okay, but here, i make working a job.
0: Okay, but here's the caveat. Of that $100, there's $3 bills and the rest are nickels and
1: dimes. Hey, <laughs> hey, it's a lot of folks that wish they had those nickels and dimes these days, isn't it? That's true. <laughs> here's a little bit of that. Uh, anyway, here's a little bit of that I'll Fly Away that I was talking about to uh, get us to the next one.
0: Garrett, this next one I have conflicting viewpoints on. Okay. So you know the artist Sia.
1: hmm
0: Okay. And I've, I've been a fan of hers back to the day when uh, she was singing with Zero Seven. And there's been loads of stuff that she's done. Uh, Actually, you and Del showed me some of the videos where... Didn't she kind of partially obstruct her face for a while or try to give... Not really let you know what she looked like for a while?
1: That was my introduction to her a few years ago. I knew her as the artist who did not show her face. And then when I got into her music... Um, I went back into her discography and found albums that showed her face, and mm. so that was a thing. But but do you know the story? The, her and not not to get too far off, you know. The no, article, it's okay. Go ahead. Go well, ahead. you know, I, I think it's very intriguing. You know, she talked about um, how stressful. Um, press tours and all of that stuff uh, was for her early on in her career using it. her Im- using her image as a selling point you know her very face being marketed um, so um, the, the way I understood the story was that when it came to uh, that next album it's the one with chandelier and 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 those songs it's a great track I think thousand thousand ways to let me okay let me let me look really quick one thousand forms of fear you love that keyboard sound thing that we have now (laughs) (laughs) it's a new fave the album was called one thousand forms of fear so yeah so it was when around that time that i um, discovered her for myself and you know i thought it was very intriguing for her to make the decision that if i'm going to continue on in this music i'm not doing the press tours like i was doing and you're not going to use my face as a marketing point so she would sing uh, perform live facing the opposite direction, you know, mm-hmm. like or or covering her face. Uh Jonathan, um, you know, guest co-host from a few Ovises back, yep. he uh, the uh, I think it was the New York City Gay Men's Chorus Um they performed with Sia and they all were assigned one of those wigs. Jonathan has a, a picture in that Bob <laughs> That's fantastic. Wig. So yeah, yeah. anyway if, if you don't um if you happen to not know Sia, I think her um her music is really incredible. I would I would suggest one thousand forms of fear. Her her um her next album was called uh, uh Uh, This is acting. Uh, Her previous album, I I love, always love the title of it. Some people have real problems, (laughs) but but across her discography, is some great music. So definitely look it up if you don't know who we're talking about. But
0: the there is just something about her voice that um, it's buttery to me, you know. Um, And I want to put a flat by this because of my yeah, because of my first reaction to. Uh, This announcement that she has a a new album dropping in February. The music goes along with a film that she made. Mm -hmm. Okay, And one of the characters in the film is an autistic teenager and is played by her friend and a longtime collaborator who is not autistic Mm -hmm. and the blowback has been, and now, and this is without having seen the film and what, maybe 60 seconds of a trailer that's available. Sure. Okay. So this is what we're working with Mm -hmm. that she's getting blowback for that performance, essentially being a caricature of an autistic person at that point. Now as an actor and having the theater background, I totally get, how you want to put the right person in. Yeah. Right. But come on, there was not one autistic actor that couldn't have done the role. Right. Let's go back to the most recent long, long, I almost said long John Silver, <laughs> Lone, Lone Ranger film where Johnny Depp, I would watch
1: <clears throat> a long John Silver film. Would you?
0: <laughs> the
1: seafood shops.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite. Um So, Lone Ranger. Lone Ranger, they brought in Johnny Depp to play the role of Tonto. And I kind of made a stink about it when I was on Facebook. Like, there's not one indigenous actor that you could get. Not one. And what were Seriously. folks
1: saying, oh, why do you think it's a big deal, blah, blah, blah. And there you was
0: know. a lot, yeah, there was people coming, oh, well, I like looking at Johnny Depp. You know, some of the women were like, oh, mm-hmm. I'll watch him do anything. And But that's not the point, though. Right. Is the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that you have a white person who's doing... Uh, would it would it be red face at
1: that point? It, that's look, the first time I was I'm, I'm glad you brought this in. So when we talk about certain actors playing certain roles that depict you know people from whatever communities, I was first, exposed to this idea uh back when that movie uh dallas buyers club was out Mm -hmm. and i'll admit that i still have not seen the movie but you know i've i was engaged with the rhetoric talking about uh trans people should play trans roles and i had never quite thought of it in my mind i was like well it's an actor. What's the big deal? And actor's play roles. you know? Acting. <laughs> but, you know, the more I sat with it and um, the more I just tried to make what I was hearing true, the more I could see that, yeah, exactly what you said. There are whole trans people out here who can play trans people in movies. I think we get into the capitalism conversation where we talk about true. the big names and all that the, stuff.
0: I.e., Johnny Depp will draw a crowd. Right. But. He didn't, right? (laughs) The the movie tanked. Um, So
1: with this Sia project, someone who is not autistic, I understand, was booked to, or is booked, or has you know played the role of of an autistic person. Yep. This gets back. I forget when we were talking about the vibrating body suits. Mm -hmm. This gets back to that. How. Ableism is that next thing that we all need to do a better job of thinking about and engaging when we talk about equitable changes. Because I'm sure there are lots of people out here who will say, Oh, but what about Forrest Gump? What about um, uh, radio? You know, well, maybe those, you know, don't hold up anymore based on our understanding now. So I understand that SIA has been doubling down, and I'm not going to be a part of the rock throwing. Crowd, right? I'm trying to have my spirit of gratitude. We'll get into that in the triloquy, but um, I I definitely accept um, and agree with the critique that as we continue to try to, you know, make this a, a more equitable world, we need to consider the fact that there are autistic actors that exist who can play these roles and i think Cia should have at least thought of that that's
0: what i that's sort of where i'm landing and um, you know like you said a lot of people will go well it's acting okay but if you look hard and you don't find somebody then you need to look harder no <laughs> um spend a little bit more time if it's that important I think it's saying, okay, well, it's not that important. We'll move on with somebody who is uh, abled, right? But imagine, look at it this way. If you held on and kept looking and you found the next Daniel Day Lewis, you know, the next, um, what if you found the next Chadwick Boseman or the the next person who was going to really bring something special to the screen isn't that more important Would you f- wouldn't you feel better about that other than just saying well i found an actor who could do it sorry say that again so if you if you search really hard and you find that next star mm-hmm. wouldn't you rather is it, isn't it saying that that is more important than just going well i it, that it isn't important that I find an autistic person to play an autistic role. I just found somebody to do it. Wouldn't you be more proud of finding the next sensation? I
1: mean, even, yeah, yes, yes. And even if, you know, even if I don't find the next person who's going to, you know, make all the, the uh, box office money and, and that sort of thing, I, I think about it from the perspective of, of empowering that in individual, you know, mm-hmm. there are mm-hmm. so many people, Uh, I imagine there are so many people with different abilities who dream of some sort of role that they can do. You know, they have a passion for uh, the theatrical arts and and just want to be a part of that. Yes. And just can't because it doesn't. So, you know, I I think there is I I think it's fun to think about the possibility of finding the next superstar who, you know, has different abilities. But even if not, it's about empowering that person for that one role for that one moment, for that one project, and see and I had that opportunity and, and missed it.
0: There are probably autistic people out there going, why are there no roles for me? And, and here, and here <laughs> is one, and, and they are. can't
1: even get that one.
0: That's that's where I... Now, so I, I went back and forth from the, okay, an actor should be able... A good act Look at Daniel... I said Daniel Day-Lewis, mm-hmm. my left foot, right? He played a person, I believe it's cerebral palsy that mm-hmm. this, that the character had and i think he won an award for it but there has to be some person who could do that that
1: has that experience i mean that is an equitable practice to go the step further to find those people so uh, yeah uh we'll, we'll we'll link this um in the description what i want people to understand for me is that my critique is that we have to take every opportunity to empower the individual despite it is. what could come after right. if, if they never act again if 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 the thing never even makes the screen right. you know the fact that you're empowering that person and giving that person an opportunity that they can uh, otherwise can't really get anywhere because mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. folks like Sia are, are, are hiring you know fully abled people to play these roles at
0: any rate the film comes out in February you can Check it out and see if her doubling down is going to pay off, or if she goes bust.
1: I hope that Sia. Uh, you know, it's hard to say what with the cancel culture, and I don't even should should we should we put some of her music here? Or, sure. Or, or am I in trouble? Or am I doing the wrong thing there? I'm I'm critiquing Sia, and I'm also acknowledging that I really enjoy her music. If, if, if that's I a think, problem, let me know, because I'm, it's I'm possible. here to learn. I'm not trying to be right. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, be as equitable as I can. Here here's, here's one of my favorite sea tunes to um, transition to year. Club Twins, I was a broken
0: thing. Had a voice, had a voice, but I could not sing. You would want me down. I struggled on the ground.
1: in a little time with the accidentals this week. There's uh, one more that I just quickly want to get to, and okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give this one. I'm gonna give this one a natural because I think the conversation is still a little bit new and and could evolve. So um, our fave, Megan the Stallion uh, released her debut album last week, and quickly uh, before I get into that specifically, you know, a lot of these rappers, I've I've heard a lot of conversation about well. How do you determine what's an album versus a mixtape and EP? Because yeah. Me- because Megan yeah. has put out lots of stuff, you know, but this is her debut album. The way and and I, I'm curious about your uh, input. The way I think about it is that an artist's album is supposed to relay a narrative or be exactly. something or be something that you. Just sit and play. It's not a song skipping thing. Over the, over the weekend, uh, Dell and I we went into our vinyl collection and just let some of the vinyls play. Some, you know, there was some Twenty One Savage in there. There was some um, Holst in there. We listened to the Planets. You know, there are all sorts of stuff. But the point is, we put the record on and it just played. Right. You know, so that's how I think about an album. So anyway, so Megan Thee Stallion's debut album came out uh, last week. It's called Good News, and one of the conversations people are having, Scott, is that it's girl rap, and we're getting to that point. Um, and, and there there have always been women who, who do uh, phenomenal stuff. But uh, Megan The Stallion has been named uh, Rapper of the Year. She is um, making waves everywhere um, as in, in this traditionally male-dominated field. And one of the conversations that I'm hearing coming out is, you know, for the first time, or not for the first time, I won't say that. But, you know, we have this refreshed look on what it looks like when someone um, in a genre leading the way isn't necessarily representative of the traditions behind that genre. I'll post a Rolling Stone article mm-hmm. that says Megan The Stallion keeps remaking rap in her own image with Good News. Again, Good News is the name um, of uh, of the album. And when I think about that concept, a woman dominating rap in a way that is not um, idiomatic to the traditions of rap, you know, Megan The Stallion is talking about, you know, Men ain't shit, and you gotta have you know ex uh, blank size. Right, and right, I'm trying right, to keep right. my cousin yep. to a minimum. Nope, <laughs> it, it's, it's anyway. That, th- it. Those are those are not lyrics that the typical straight white male is gonna have. Uh, oh, sorry, excuse me. That's those aren't lyrics that the typical straight black male are gonna have. But uh, banging out of their car, uh, <laughs> rolling down the street, and, you know. But it's but it's rap, uh-huh. and it's and it's you know. Climb its, it's representative of what 2020 is doing, you know, women in rap. So I wanted to bring that up, Scott, to relay it to um, classical music. We think about classical music as white music. Let's just say, you know, most people would would, would say that idea. Fair. We talk about diversity and including um, composers of color, but I don't think we talk a lot about what it could mean for the aesthetic to really change and shift the way that folks like Megan The Stallion is shifting the aesthetic of rap and hip hop. Have you have you thought about what it could mean if a person turns on their classical radio station, and hears um, an African drum ensemble, and that's just Tuesday afternoon. This isn't the Kwanzaa special. This isn't Black History Month. This mm-hmm. is just what classical music. Um, is now mm-hmm. have, have have you thought about what that could be like or what what that could look like?
0: Um, nothing but for the last year and a half, and I keep coming up empty-handed hmm. um, because so much of it I think deals first with breaking the expectation breaking what has become, um, uh, you know, I get I get emails from listeners every once in a while that want to tell me what my show is supposed to be. <laughs> sure, You know, you're not supposed to be playing this, you know, this 20th century garbage right. or this loud bombastic whatever. And, you know, that is so endearing to mm-hmm. me when somebody writes in and says that, number one. So they're off on a good foot. So number one, you got to break down that image of what it is first. And then all of your time is going to be spent on what it can be. And you have to market it differently. You know, getting away from what we've been talking about for almost two years now, getting away from the idea of the relaxation, of the time off, of the get away sort of an idea from it. Now that is not to say that you can't use it for that. Mm -hmm. But we're saying that it is it is other things. Um And that's why I think that it's going to take some time.
1: Here I know. Don't get I know. Me, don't get me on that. I don't. know. <laughs> don't get me on it. I'm the one that takes the hit. I mean, time for time for whom? You know, that, that that's what I think we should ask ourselves more. It's going to take time for whom? Who who is have? who is doing the waiting?
0: Yeah, um, Actually, I'm, yeah. Who's,
1: who's doing the, I'm, I'm the hit- thumb twiddling, the, the sitting in the right waiting room and who's going along with things because, yep. you know, it just takes time. I'm who's hitting the, I'm hitting the eject button right here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't even have an opinion.
1: Oh, yeah, that, that is always your go-to, isn't it? Right, because that's what <laughs> Marvin said in Pulp Fiction
0: right before he got
1: shot in the face. Okay, well, I, le- I left my ham at home, so it's all right. I left my thing at home. Very good. Um, But anyway, back to Megan the Stallion. I- I'm curious... You, I'm sure that you, in, in addition to not being able to directly identify with the baddies looking for a man with a bag and, you know, with a blah, 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 you know, j- as foreign as that narrative may be to your experience, is that not as foreign as the first um, rap music that you were really engaging back in the 90s? We talked about the N.W.A. and all that. Stuff. Sure. That's yeah, just that's a good as, comparison. That's just as foreign. Mm-hmm. What makes... The man rap more, in your opinion, more attractive to other men than the the uh, the woman rap, even though those two worlds are as distant, you know, from from you as as they are from each other. You know,
0: it only makes sense to me. I mean, why would a female make music about a male experience? Mm. So. She's obviously going to talk about her experience in the way, you know, Megan and Cardi B and, you know, there's a a long list in all different genres of uh, Courtney Love, you know, was married to Kurt Cobain, you know, and she was brash and was kind of women empowering in a way, Mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah, yeah. but they that these are the artists that you that you. You see now in the future we'll be talking about they were the ones that pushed the envelope in this moment.
1: So what do you think would be a way, and this could count for all genres, I think it, it, should, it, it definitely has an application in classical, but hip-hop, whatever, what do you think can be said or done to spark that curiosity for people to just check out that ex- experience? You know, the the straight Male to just listen to Megan The Stallion's album to hear about women who looking for insert thing here. No pun intended. <laughs> um, it
0: For me, I would I would only be listening just anecdotally, you know, just to know what was going on in the zeitgeist because um I am not her target demographic. <laughs> I am in no danger of ever. Being put to the test as to whether or not I would have what it takes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I That's don't have to worry about much. any of that. You I are am... me right now. Hey, this is all. This is all true. Well, well, let's anecdotally listen to a, a little <laughs> bit of, of one of the tracks from this album. Good news. <laughs> Thank you, Rona. This one is called "Movie." <laughs> Call it talking in circles, just save it. I don't wanna flirt with you, nigga, just pay me. He gotta go if he ain't coming with it. Me and a broke nigga ain't getting entangled. I wanna bur can 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 can. Finna find out that SSN. Do a nigga, how you think you finna do me? Get what I want, then I go miss in. He's in the text he met at me, why? He trying to face time and you know I decline. I will not call you when you be with them hoes, so don't blow me up when you're going All right, I'm producer, fine. producer of trilogy. What mm. uh <laughs> what 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 were you listening to this week?
0: Well since you spoke with Anthony Davis, and he's a Pulitzer Prize winner, it got me thinking about George Walker. Yeah, uh, the first black person to win a Pulitzer Prize for music. I think it was in nineteen ninety six, something like that. Yeah, uh, for the release "Lilacs," and that was a composition done with words by Walt Whitman. Mm-hmm. And you know me; I'm a theater guy. I've, I've had my po—I did my poetry phase, but I, I still. <laughs> I was still, that
1: before or after the spoken word phase? It was after the okay. spoken word phrase, <laughs> phase, but
0: but I still enjoy a clever turn of phrase. So uh, let I, me
1: let know. me ask you is is Walt, does Walt Whitman have a place in theater to to the point where you have to like study him and be familiar uh, w- with his works? No, he was a he was a poet, you know. Okay. So
0: I mean, maybe if you were into romantic literature, you probably got a whole treatise on it, and sure. you know, um, loads of people have done all sorts of graduate papers on yeah the only reason
1: i asked is because there's a a tune that i've played many times in my career called the wound dresser by uh, john adams and that uses Walt Whitman's uh, mm-hmm. poetry His and, and then uh, he has some significance to East Tennessee as well. So you know, just living in Knoxville, where I used to live, folks were really familiar with Walt Whitman. He has some um, scandalous photos on the internet too. He had a hey. he had a nefarious side, but anyway, they all it. do. <laughs> Every M- music art art is made by humans,
0: and you know? and some of the best of it has some of the best stories. Mm-hmm. You know, that's but what anyway, I'm
1: saying. Lilacs you uh, by George Walker uses. Some of the pros of Walt Whitman,
0: right? So you've got a um, soprano and a piano, and uh, I listened to about half a dozen of those, and I can say it's not my bag. Um, I can certainly understand the, the the draw for people, but this, you know, what do you what do you think? As did
1: you enjoy art song just? Yeah. Leibus leader type stuff. I'm challenged by people who are challenged by the sort of aesthetic of George Walker's music. So everybody plays his lyric for strings. I feel like that's the safe pick for mm-hmm. George Walker. When we talk about, um, and I, I think, you know, I think this really touches back on what we were talking about, so-called girl music, talking about Megan the Stallion and, you know, that, that that sort of thing, changing the aesthetic of rap. Mm-hmm. I think when we talk about D. Uh, DEI and classical music and including more of this music by these composers, we have to really accept that the aesthetic is gonna change because the perspective is different. George Walker had a, a lived experience that is different from other people. So that means the music is going to sound that way. I will acknowledge that uh, Lilacs uh, is one of those tunes that, um, you know, most radio program directors or whatever would say is not radio friendly. But I challenge people to really sit with that music and grow that appreciation. Think about the first time you sipped some cognac or the something that you've grown an appreciation for now that at first you just felt like it wasn't quite your thing, you know?
0: Um, most booze.
1: <laughs> <laughs> sure. Now,
0: now so that, that's not to say that I don't enjoy other things by George Walker. Let's yeah. talk about tangents for chamber orchestra. Now, mm-hmm. last week and the week before, I've been talking about how I've I've just really been drawn in by horns lately. Sure. Okay, and so George uses them really well in that. And in this track, uh, what it brought to mind for me was those like 50s and 60s Mercury Living Presence recordings, you know, uh, that sort of aesthetic in this track. And also when you talk about really taking the time to sit with things uh i went through uh some of his sonatas for violin and piano mm-hmm. and they're ve- those are to me are really angular yeah and they and they
1: picasso like right like that and
0: but for me that requires that that isn't something i can put on and do other things mm-hmm. i have to sit with that and and hear where he's going and wait for the picture to be completely finished i guess
2: mm-hmm.
1: But, you know, that's probably what the composers want anyway, for their art to not be treated as wallpaper, but something that you actually digest. And it sounds like what you're saying is that George Walker's music for you requires that to really sit down and digest it, not have it over in the corner. And it's
0: one thing to require that kind of uh, uh, attention to Internalize it, digest it. However you want to say, uh, it's yet another to have the skill to keep you. Okay, so there's nothing that drove me away from it. All I'm saying is, is that it made me. This is like a, you know, a, a really in-depth movie. I felt like, okay, I got to, I got to pay attention here.
1: Yeah, and I'm really gonna challenge everyone listening to spend some time with Lilacs by George Walker. It definitely has an aural aesthetic that is not the pretty sort of simple to digest things. Mm -hmm. But like I was saying, when we talk about uh, diversity in the arts, that means it's a diversity of perspective, which means is a diversity of sound. And the Pulitzer, it was good enough for the Pulitzer committee, right? So I think you know, we all need to, you know, work on stretching our own ears and really uh, digging into finding things to dissect, th- finding things to appreciate about uh, music like Lilacs uh, by George Walker. Here's, here's a little bit of that uh, to, to get us going. So before we get into my conversation with Anthony Davis, I wanted to bring up um, another one of the Pulitzer Prize-winning compositions by a uh, black man. Another historical uh, uh, collection of compositions: Kendrick Lamar's "Damn." Now, of course, the most famous um, uh, excerpt, I'll say, the single off that album was one called "Humble." Yeah. Yeah remember syrup sandwiches and allowances with some counter fist. that was one that um, you know most people had heard but Scott you actually had another pick off of this album
0: the track love is one that grew on me pretty quickly you and Del introduced me to it and for some reason that has been a song that I've put onto other playlists to try to recreate that aesthetic Get that vibe going, that feel good feel Mm -hmm. in uh, the next dinner party or the next time I had people over for drinks or whatever it was. So love actually makes it onto other playlists of mine pretty regularly, even still.
1: I think it's you, you once described it as that perfect after work tune to put on. I think it's great that uh, folks, because I'm sure you went to this album because it went a Pulitzer, right? Like out of curiosity or... Well, you
0: know. and after you and Del gave, played them one track, mm-hmm. and so then I went and started listening to it a little bit more after that.
1: So what I really think is incredible about it is that you get all of these different aesthetics of hip hop because Humble and Love are you know sound very different and but they're both on this same project we were talking earlier about albums versus mixtapes and things i think this um, that album damn quite obviously you know has a narrative and tells a story and the part of the story that is highlighted uh, through that song love i think you know mm-hmm. like that twilight that evening it's it, it, it great song it is it's an incredible composition if i didn't rap late on curve would you still if I'm in on my mind, where would you still Keep it on it i I'd rather you trust me than to me. Keep it on. I love a lot of the songs me. on that album. Uh my personal pick, I love the tune element because I like the I don't know. I I like the the uh energy. Of it the the tempo plus the way the beat was written and then you know the the context of the of the lyrics when it comes to you know Kendrick Kendrick's experiences, I think it's really cool. So that's that's my pick oh, off, off of damn the song shit, element. Ay, I've been stumped out in front of my mama. My daddy commissary made it to commas. Bitch, y'all my grandma's dead, so ain't nobody praying for me, I'm on your head. Ay. 30 later, no watching. On my telegram, like be I thought we would segue um, with the tune off of that album, Fear. Um, so Anthony Davis, um, as, as I said earlier, um, you know, won the Pulitzer Prize uh, for his composition, The Central Park Five. Was that i um, I'll admit that it was not a story that I was familiar with until they were doing uh, movies and documentaries. Uh, the, you know, the Ava DuVernay, uh, When They See Us is the first time I really had an understanding yeah. Of the Central Park Five was that a story that you were aware of, or
0: I was aware of it, mm. sure, because the headlines were huge,
1: yeah, you See, know? and I don't and, even remember the headlines, so
0: right that happened in 1989, so yeah, I would have been 19 years old and probably just starting to pay attention to big headline news stories like that. Um, I was a broadcasting student in college. And so I'm sure that all of these sorts of, you know, all the classes that I was taking in broadcasting were probably looking to this uh, this case as groundbreaking.
1: And think about how, you know, you said you were 19. So think about that, Scott. The boys that they put in jail were even younger. Those were children mm-hmm. that they were accusing of rape. I remember um, watching the uh, Averne special. One of the kids wasn't even sure What rape was or how you have sex, much less, you know, raped a woman. Right. You know, Um, and um, so anyway, so uh, at the beginning of uh, this conversation, um, Anthony Davis basically just lays out what that story was, you know, just for folks who may not know. And I think, you know, just recounting that story just um, makes me just so, it just makes me shake my head at the folks whose names we will never know, the folks who are innocent in jail who we will never know about. You know, Anthony Davis was not at all shy about um, talking about Donald Trump's involvement in that, you know, mm. if you remember that, and of course, I you know, do. D- just that monster that was always there, you know, uh, trying to give them the death sentence, Yes. children, trying to give children the death sentence. So anyway, um, there's an opera written about that whole story that Anthony Davis wrote. Um, I talked with uh, him a little bit about that, his piece of music written in honor of the late George Floyd, We Call the Roll, and a piece of music that was uh, performed by the Cincinnati Symphony uh, uh, stream last weekend um, based on his own experience called You Have the Right to Remain Silent. So I thought, uh, anyway, uh, getting off the track there all the way back to Kendrick, I thought Fear off of that Kendrick album would be a great piece of music uh, to use to segue here. So here's fear, and here's my conversation with Anthony Davis. Why God? Why God? Do I gotta suffer? Pain in my heart, carry burdens full of struggle. Why God? Why God?
2: Do I gotta bleed? Every stone thrown, that you resting at my feet. Why God? Why God? The story is in uh, 1989. There were um, uh, a group of youths from Harlem. Uh, went into the park you know and, and mostly to you know to have have fun you know a little lays a little hell but not not anything really very serious and uh, at the same time uh, a woman Tricia Miele, was assaulted in the park and raped and uh, so the police were looking for people for for, for to, to, to to find the perpetrator and they they rounded up I think you know a number of kids you know it wasn't just the five they number, rounded up I think about seven kids initially and uh, then whittled down to the five um, who, you know who happened to be in the park at the time uh, there was they had no real physical evidence on the fi- on the five um, and they were eventually accused of the crime and tried and convicted. Uh, Donald Trump got all, involved in the whole thing as part of the the kind of white reaction to the to it, you know, calling for the death penalty, uh, calling for he said, he's, she put out full page ads in all the newspapers, say support support the police, bring back the death penalty, and uh, so that was I I think the beginning of his political career was was exploiting the the racial tensions around the uh, Central Park Five. Yeah, so, so many that, years that ago. That was something. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, yeah. You know, now, you know, now, you know, a little over 30 years ago, you know, so, 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 you know, so I think, I think we, we, you know, and we see the kind of lessons of that today. You know, I mean, you see what, what Trump is about today is, is mm-hmm. we could see back 30 years ago. And um, so, so they were convicted and the police, in spite, in spite of the fact they had no real physical evidence, no DNA evidence or anything, but DNA hadn't been developed as much, you know, mm-hmm. uh, as it would be by the 90s with the OJ trial and other things. But uh, uh, they actually had in custody the actual perpetrator who, who was uh, 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 Matias Reyes, who actually did the crime. They, they had arre- arrested at the same time as they arrested the, the five. But, um, and he had already committed other crimes, a murder, so uh and, and other rapes that would follow followed the same pattern. And uh they didn't think to link him to this crime. So uh he was never accused of the of the crime and then eventually his confession led to led to the exoneration of the five.
1: Right. After they had spent time behind the
2: Actually Corey Wise was in prison thirteen years, yeah, the others wow. seven to eight in juvenile detention. So uh, it's, uh, you know, so it's, it's, a kind of heartbreaking story about, you know, what happened to them, you know, some of them were, they, they were able to rise above it. Like Yusef Salam, he was able to right. graduate from college, you know, during his time in and the juvenile detention and, and, uh, uh, Corey wise was in an adult uh, because he was a year older, was tried in an adult as an adult and ended up in an adult prison for 13 years. So,
1: yeah, so his, his punishment was quite different from the others so what inspired you to write an opera about this i think when we when most folks would think about this gruesome story they wouldn't instantly think of opera
2: well i think uh well what happened is uh Ke- kevin maynor who runs the trilogy opera company in newark new jersey uh i was talking to them about doing an opera i wanted to do an opera on uh, based on uh amiri baraka's play the dutchman that would be mm. set in a subway car mm. uh but, uh, he, but he, he, he asked me if I would read this libretto and to suggest a composer to write the music. And the libretto by Richard Wesley was a, a first draft of the Central Park Five. So I read the libretto and I said, I called him up and said, I want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think because I remember, so I lived in New York at the time. So I remember all that. It was very really vivid in my mind, you know, you know, seeing the, seeing them on television and and witnessing what was going on in New York at the time. Yeah. And uh, I thought it was also an important kind of cultural juncture, you know, wh- where, you know, hip hop was kind of going mainstream. And uh, it was the year, for example, that Do the Right Thing was released. Yeah. yeah, And actually, the white demonstrators who were calling for the death penalty had posts on their signs. They said, The sign
1: said, Do the Right Thing. Is an irony something? An irony, an irony <laughs> something, man. So
2: wow. I thought about i so when I thought about this i said I thought about it as also the the larger dimension of it that you know the real estate interests like Trump mm-hmm. you know wanting to eventually gentrify Harlem and Central Park is the kind of meeting ground between the west side like the the west side and harlem and uh, the east side on the other side. so I think that uh, it was that was a symbolic thing too because it was about uh about about that about exerting this, that kind of control and also the f- fear of the of this hip-hop generation mm-hmm. and 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 the whole expression for example wilding they said they were wilding in the park right all the newspapers and I remember seeing the headlines in the New York Post and the Daily News and you know the, the tabloids and uh, wilding came from the tone Loke song wild thing they were singing wild thing and mm-hmm. so they were so when they said they were wilding in a park? They were just singing the song. So, so it's it's amazing how music, something from music, can can become can, can become a, and it translated into you know a kind of a, cult, a different kind of cultural phenomenon. You know, so so I was interested in that too. You know, this idea so that in a way when they were putting those five, the five in the in jail, they were putting Radio Rahim from. Mm -hmm. from uh, Do the Right Thing. Do the Right Thing, yeah. Yeah, that whole scene where you had the boombox in the pizza parlor and the guy takes out the baseball bat and smashes it, you know, playing a public enemy, you know, fight the power.
1: It's so interesting for you to bring up the idea of uh, gentrification and and, and that sort of thing. Because, you know, what strikes me about your body of work, even beyond the Central Park Five, you've for so long uh, been at that intersection of of race, racial history, and classical music, opera. And when I think about what you said about gentrification, I think about the opposite for the opera houses and the concert halls, blackness going into those traditional white spaces. I always thought about that. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I but, thought, of,
2: I thought yeah. of it as a subversive act, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like going in there and, and doing something that they didn't, you know, you know, telling the story of Malcolm X and, uh, and right, you know, right. Lincoln Center, you know, that's, that's, a, that's in a way kind of subversive because it's bringing, bringing a different, you know, revolutionary spirit into it. So that's, that's, uh, and it's a disruption of the normal audience, et cetera, you know, so. I think but I think that's that's what's needed that's what we needed that's what was needed to do and that's something I always felt was uh you know one of my the role I had to play you know mm-hmm. I, 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 I needed to play and um, and so I st- I still feel that you know I feel that uh, and um you know that that classical music had had represented it kind of uh the in a way it's it was the signpost for white supremacy you know so i wanted to i wanted to i wanted to undercut that and say no it's it's not that it's not that and i think uh, i think and and also to, to have them realize that you know to have our stories told in opera yeah. you know uh, was important because music is so integrated into our culture you know i i I felt that, you know, telling these stories through music, it's something I think Ellington wanted to do, you know, uh, when he wrote, composed Black, Brown and Beige back in in the 40s. So I think that, you know, I I feel a, a, a responsibility to continue that.
1: You know, um, you mentioned Newark, New Jersey. Uh, last week, I, I spoke with a Newark uh, native, Taishan Sori, and he oh, talked with Taishan, yeah. yeah he talked with me about uh, some of the response uh, to some of his music, and he wasn't at all shy about telling me that not all of the response um, has been good. You know, when it comes to his music, is it the same for you with works like the Central Park Five, your Malcolm X opera? You know has has there been that push back that backlash for you of course I mean <laughs> particularly
2: with X because X was 30 35 years ago if you can imagine that. before
1: before so-called wokeness right
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah oh no 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 I mean I, and you can see that from the the response of some of the music critics and stuff who were try, trying to kind of keep us out mm-hmm. and and we we're, we're, I think X was re- was very threatening to them threatening yeah. to to what they thought were, what opera was supposed to be. You know, I remember a review I had in the Times. Some some guy wrote. He said, "Well, opera's supposed to be about love." And Here <laughs> you have, you know, Malcolm X. And I said, "Oh man, you know." So so, I I think there was it was very funny because it was really um, uh, it challenged what what, they, what their assumption of what uh, what the form should be, and and who the who, what the audience should be. Mm-hmm. what the uh uh and what they the the aesthetics of the music too you know yeah uh, so i think but i think that that you know that that's a necessary thing i mean that's i mean you 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 you, you have i mean anyone who's trying to do something innovative especially a person of color an african-american if we do when we do something innovative there's going to be pushback that's part that's that comes with the territory
1: yeah i mean and and i can't completely dismiss the idea of opera or so-called classical music um, the way it should be what it's supposed to be because from my perspective it should be more colorful than it certain than it uh, than it currently is certainly the audiences I mean do you, do you see um, your music as uh, catalysts for that change I mean it's it's easy for us to you know uh, really center the the institution but I guess what I'm really asking is um, you know creating more equitable spaces that don't only include, you know, black people, more of our stories, but what spaces in which our stories belong, that it's really there. It's not just included, but equal ownership of those spaces, the narratives within them.
2: That's a struggle. I mean, I think it's interesting because, you know, when we have to look at the past, like when I did X at City Opera, it uh, it was the most popular new opera ever done at New York City Opera among the top five in terms of attendance of any opera they ever did. Uh, it was sold out for every performance. And it was 50% African-American house.
1: Mm, wow. In Lincoln
2: wow. Center. So, so sometimes when these institutions say they want to have a new audiences and all this stuff, you know, they're, they're interested in that. But they're really interested in new audience for the old music, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, uh, so 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 uh, so on some some level they did, it, you know the fact that this audience came and it was part you know for X was that was you know those people were invisible to them mm-hmm. on a certain level. So 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 you have to watch institutions who talk about the new new audiences and stuff. Make sure that they really mean it, and what <laughs> that means is that. Sometimes the old audience will be displaced. You know, there are other people <laughs> who are going to take those seats, and that's important. I mean, when yeah. I did Amistad in Chicago, it was it was really interesting because they had mostly a subscription audience for the opening night, and it was a weird response because it was mostly white audience, and all the black people couldn't get in. In that something? Yeah, so they had to add another show so that black people could come, in, and, and the response between that show. And the and the opening night were totally it was it was antithetical it was totally different and I think I think uh, because it, you know it, it it deals for 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 some white people it's it's uncomfortable it's mm-hmm. uncomfortable for the, them to see racism and look at racism and look at look at the past and look at how people acted you know and uh, and in Amistad we were, were reflecting how the the visceral response to you know these these captives who took over a, a slave ship, the you know, and uh, so so I think that th- those things you know that we see that today. You know, pushback with Trump with um, the uh, 1619 curriculum, etc. Right. You know, right. and, and saying, oh, we well, should do 1776, and they still <laughs> want to bury that stuff. They right. still want to make sure. I mean, it, it, I mean, r- you know, racism is like our original sin. You know, you know, racism is the original sin in America. Absolutely. I mean uh, everything that was said you know when the founding fathers it was you know in, in a sense a lie because it, it you know it you know still you know people counting as three-fifths of a person exactly you had you had uh you know slavery in the south you know etc
1: black codes even, after And the electoral
2: you know, college today yeah. is a remnant of that of that racism exactly and exactly. and uh the second amendment is is also part of it because you know like that the Second Amendment was created so people could hunt down slaves. Mm-hmm. I mean, so they could organize militias to hunt slaves. I mean, what I mean, so the, the legacy of that, you know, it's going to take a lot to erase that, to 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 eradicate that from our from our the Constitution and from our, you know, our 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 how our gov- how our government
1: practices. So, do you see your pulitzer win with uh the central park five as movement in the right direction i mean the the white people in those offices were okay with your work uh, uh, yeah clearly well, right
2: fortunately, a lot of black folks on the committee that, oh, that year
1: very good yeah That <laughs> helps with bill
2: banfield and some of the others i mean oh I yeah think shout that, out
1: to bill banfield yeah
2: so, so, shout out to bill so, but i think that you know um and i think it's exciting uh it was it was exciting for me to see that happen because uh, I've been involved a lot with, you know, polit- with pol- the political realm and and having uh, my music speak to political issues and and uh, now at this moment when people are finally you know trying we're trying to wrestle with these things, you know I think think you know some of those pieces can speak to speak to those issues you know a in, in a direct way.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and you know uh, we, we already you know established that in your catalog there are so many pieces at that. Um, really interesting intersection, um, including a work that you wrote uh, in honor of the late George Floyd, uh, We Call the Role. You know, I had the honor of hosting the event uh, that premiered it. Uh, I wonder, um, you, you did such a, uh, an incredible job of telling us uh, the story of the Central Park Five. I wonder if you'll paint the picture of your reaction to hearing um, about the murder of George Floyd. Was it, a, and I've asked this to a few people, was it a here we go again situation or was there something different about this one for you?
2: Well, I think it was the response was different to see Absolutely. the
1: international response to it.
2: I mean, I would to see the video. I mean, see on a TV it was it was it was horrorf- just horrifying. Uh, I mean, but to say that it's new, it, I mean, it was. I mean, we have Emmett Till. We have you know. I mean, right. the, You can go back to the fifties. You can go back. You know, there's the lynchings and the, you know. I mean, it's that there, 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 there's a continuity there. There that that's why it was emblematic of something that's been going on for a long time and that we thought was you know, had abated to somewhat, but it hadn't, you know, but, but we all know that, you know, the, uh you know, the need for reform in the among in the police, etc. But, but also just the value of black life. I think, you know, Black Lives Matter was a really necessary movement. And the fact that it became such an international phenomenon with support from, you know, all kinds of people, I think was, that was, that was, that was different. I mean, that hadn't happened since the 60s with the mm-hmm. civil rights struggle when you saw, you know how Martin Luther King had galvanized so many people.
1: It's it's easy to uh, easier I'll say maybe um, to really see the power and understand um, the the spirit of this music when it's performed by you know the many phenomenal uh, black musicians that are out there. Um, what about the white musicians? Have you ever thought about uh, your music pieces like we call the role performed by entirely white ensembles? What what are the implications there? What would that mean?
2: <laughs> well no i i hadn't even thought about that you know it's, it's funny i mean i mean sure i mean i would like to see it done by choirs yeah choirs could do it you know i mean i think think that uh, uh i think that i think i i definitely could be performed by uh, mixed race groups etc i mean i i would think so because it's it's all about awakening to what, what what's going on and, and and that you know we're trying and the, this i this movement of, of of trying to uh, move move forward after you know all these tragedies mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. so um so the message is really positive coming out from, from the from the piece
1: you know and uh so i i would hope that you know all kinds of you know groups could do it and eventually you know Uh, Being a part of that premiere inspired a thought in me that I um, hadn't thought about before, um, as it applies to the way COVID has impacted the arts and classical music. It's one thing to not be able to have a full scale opera staged, but art songs and you know uh, music for you know four voices and piano, like we call the role, that is a little bit uh, more accessible. Uh, I wonder if you um, have thought much about that. I sort of it feels to me like this is the time when the art song and music um, of for ensembles like that can really take the main stage for for audiences for us all to really appreciate that type of music even more now. Considering we can't do the full scale opera.
2: No, I think so. You also, it's kind of intimate form.
1: Right. I mean, here we can have people. You know,
2: people can watch it their their screens and watch something that can af- can affect them. You know, it's, it's so it's a different scale, different way of of, of presenting music. I, I, I just did this project at Eastman School of Music uh, where they did six of my arias, uh, w- made music videos of, of the arias, like of, kind of as portraits, portraits of them as singers, but also portraits, you know, one, one of them did John Quincy Adams from Amistad, another did mm-hmm. Navigator, someone did the Goddess of the Waters from Amistad, someone did Malcolm X from the aria from uh, X. Uh, so so, and one did Corey Wise. So so, there's this whole this, this whole thing of. But you could do also with with you know doing a with a green screen and stuff background. They could do DGI effects, all kinds of draw, kind of you know digitally draw on the on the image to create make, create a whole world around it. So it's kind of a different way to present music, you know that I, I think it has a lot of potential, uh, you know, uh, in, in a way to take. And, and this is just from my operas, taking this, mm-hmm. you know, little portraits of characters from the opera in it and presenting them to people. Yeah. So,
1: and, and, yeah and, and, talk, a, and talking about a different way, you know, that's a perfect segue um, into You Have the Right to Remain Silent, which, you know, we all got to enjoy this past weekend. Um, that is, I, I read, and if you're comfortable, you know, talking about it, that is based on a personal experience of yours, correct? Or was yeah. it wasn't at least inspired by.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I had, I did have a personal experience. I've had a couple experiences with a, with being stopped by police for because of my race, you know, uh, one was on, you know, uh, on a highway between Boston and Hartford, Connecticut. And uh, I, then they thought I had robbed a bank. Wow. Wow. <laughs> if only, right. Yeah, no. <laughs> They say someone meeting my description had just robbed a bank. Okay. And then the other was I was just driving from San Francisco to L.A. and I was in Los Angeles. My first time in Los Angeles. And I stopped at a stoplight and a cop came up and my my first wife, who was white, was with me and with a friend of mine, Wes Brown, bass player, who was also African-American. And the cop pulled up with his siren on and I opened the window and he asked my, my wife, who was white, uh, are you okay? And all we... <laughs> You
1: know, he's worried really, about her. <laughs>
2: we're with with two black men, she, she's, right? Is she okay? Wow! <laughs> wow. So, so I re- I realized, oh, oh, okay. I mean, this, thank this is God what we yeah. okay. <laughs> Right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, we 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 laugh to keep from you know crying or yelling or being angry. Yeah, exactly. But, That's you know, what that is. Yeah. What what I think we about. Laugh at it. What I think about so much is the fact that um, for for black folks, black men, classical music does not absolve us of things like that. You know, I wonder if um, if that goes, uh, surely that plays a role into uh, your composition of works like You Have the Right to Remain Silent, thinking about the fact that as a composer of this incredible music, you could still be the subject of this music.
2: No, no, of course. Yeah, you know, I've had you know I had an incident in Cal- when I first moved to California and when I moved here, I, 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 my car was in the shop. I borrowed my neighbor's car, who had who had Florida plates, and um, they've been driving around for four or five years with Florida plates, which actually wasn't legal. Mm-hmm. But I drive it around. The one day I drove around, the cop stops me, you know, he calls in the license number and he says, "Well, you realize that." You, you you know those those are Florida plates and your are you know you should have different plates. I said no. I just borrowed this car. It's not right. <laughs> it's not my car. <laughs> 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 and the one time so I, it, it made me realize you know it made me late for my class my, when I was teaching you because know, of that. Yeah. But but uh, no, I mean that, that's something and I have something I've had to tell, tell my son. I have a I have a 23 year old here in California and. And when he was, you know, learning to drive, when he's first drive, starting to drive by himself, mm-hmm. I had to tell him, you know, you know, because it created a curfew of ten o'clock, and I told him, told him, yeah, oh shoot, I'm about to run out of power here. Let me plug this in. That um, well, you better be home by ten o'clock. And he said, well, well, my friends, you know, they they, you know, they say they don't even think of it. So said, I yeah, know, you're black, right, <laughs> yeah.
1: right. And,
2: and when you know that his friend. His friend Adam was the one who's also African-American was stopped, was the one who was, was stopped for being out late. Mm -hmm. So, so it was like, uh, so, so I just know, you know, I said, you know, you have to follow the rules. You can't, you can't do that. We don't, you can't play with that.
1: And again, you know, we can, we can joke and laugh. I, I have my own stories. I have my own California stories. You know, I was along, uh, Sla- I was near Slauson and La Brea when I was stopped. And, um, you know, a gun put to, to my head because they thought I had done whatever. But, you know, w- so w- with that in mind, you know, we can laugh, but the situations are very much real, you know, in those moments. What do you hope- i had, I had dinner with oh,
2: Henry Louis Gates the day after he was... Uh, uh, you know, the, the 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 he was he was detained by the police in his own house. Oh my I goodness! Mean, that was that was ridiculous. I mean, the whole then they had the beer summit after it and all that stuff. But, but, right, right, But you know, he's been a he was a good, really good friend of mine. And we and we were we went out to dinner, and he was just he was in a rage about it.
1: it was unbelievable. I mean, and, and many of the people, most, I'll say, most of the people who listen to works like You Have the Right to Remain Silent will never experience anything like that. They may not even know someone who has experienced something like that. What do you hope those people get out of works like You Have the Right to Remain Silent? How do you want them to feel after? What do you want them to understand by listening to that piece of music?
2: Well, part of it is to understand the pain of that, you know, the fact that, and, 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 it's all about empathy, you know, in operas too, you know, also to empathize for those characters. I wanted the the audience to feel that they, what would it be like if they were the five or their children were the five, Mm. you know, Mm. how would they feel? And it doesn't matter if they're white or black, et cetera, you know, I mean, what, what, how would you feel? And, and that, that kind of identification that you get, that I can create with, with the music and with the, the emotions and etc. and I, that's something that's something I try to try to do, yeah. And um, and and, I, and I, something I always always feel, you know, like uh, you know, to take the audience with with you to make sure that they they understand, you know, what what it's what it the the, the exhilar- Like for example, when they were going to, going into the park, the exhilaration,
1: mm-hmm.
2: feeling free, and going into the park, and then have it all crash down on them like that
1: especially no. in a place like new york city where so many youths their whole world as children is that apartment maybe the the sidewalk or the walk to school exactly. but to get into this green area where you can run and as you say yeah. be free free dare i say free at last you know pull, pull yeah. that quote yeah. you know and then yeah like you said it all just crashes down it's it's really no, something so i, to I wanted them to feel that you know yeah. like uh, make it
2: exciting too you know like the, their, they would want to be in the, the park yeah. You know, uh and I think that that's that's part of it. I mean, when I did X, I wanted to make sure like I I did this course with Allahu Akbar which uh, when the, the Nation of Islam, you know, to embrace, uh, Malcolm X uh, joins Malcolm joins the Nation of Islam, mm-hmm. and I wanted to feel the same exhilaration, the thing about being part of a community, part of a movement, part of something that's bigger than you. Yeah. That's a you know, that's that's that can be a transcending, th- transcendent thing. So that, that's a, but I wanted the whole the audience to feel that, you know, uh, you know that that ex- exhilaration, that that sense of sense of being transported and being uplifted, you know, and uh, and and I and I think that's a process of you know the of uh, uh, of uh, empathy and also a process of identification and I and you know and that's something that. I, you know, sometimes critics get mad at me about. I remember when I was wrote X, he said, he's trying to manipulate us. <laughs> damn straight, I'm trying to manipulate yeah.
1: you. <laughs> you know, you, you speak to that exhilaration, you know, maybe even the exhilaration of getting the Pulitzer phone call or email or however the. <laughs> the, yeah, the that was came to you. No, it,
2: it, that was very, that was kind of funny because uh, they don't actually. Tell you gonna when you win. They just had put an announcement in the press. They put oh. the announcement <laughs> And you so have to just. I hear. had no clue that was <laughs> happening. I was I was on, uh, I was doing in the middle of a faculty meeting on Zoom mm-hmm. at UCSD, and I get this call from New York. You know, say, so, oh, I said, well, maybe I'd better check it out. So I, I, said, I left it and I forgot to mute the Zoom. So I get, I get on the phone call. And Frank Oteri, who's from New Music U.S. New Music uh, America, said, "Oh, you, uh, congratulations!" And I said, "For what?" And he said, well, "You won the Pulitzer Prize for this year." And I said, "Wow, wow." <laughs> <laughs> so I called my wife and said, Cindy, I won the Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> Guess what? Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and that's how the whole meeting heard that. So it was pretty funny.
1: <laughs> I wonder if you've uh, thought about or considered any similarities or even through lines with the other black men with whom you share this great honor uh, uh, the late George Walker and oh, sure. the rapper Kendrick Lamar. You know, it seems like these are uh, three very different things. You have, li- you know, right. Lilac. More in that tradition, and then the hip hop, and then you're mixing uh, those seemingly two two worlds. Have you thought about any similarities there?
2: Well, and also Henry Threadgill, is of a, oh, actually right. a really good friend of mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I you know, I, I thought there's a continent. There's an interesting because uh, it's a spectrum of black music. They're yeah, very different perspectives of black music, and and uh, you know, I, I, I've certainly admired George Walker for a long time. His music, and uh, you know, and and went, and I've known, I, I. Actually, we played together, and you mm-hmm. know, the, and the, when he first came to New York, so sure. So I've known him, and then and, and, and Henry as well. You know, we we did we 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 did music together as well. So I, I've known Henry for a long time. So uh, no, and I, and I I think it was great, you know, to to. No, my I think Kendrick Lamar is my son's favorite artist. So
1: okay, he was <laughs> he,
2: he was he he's the one who introduced me to Kendrick Lamar. He said, "Oh, you got to listen to this. You got to listen
1: to this." And I said, "Okay." Yeah, yeah. Another Cal, <laughs> another Southern California artist at that.
2: Yeah, I know. So so uh my my son is the you know always uh introduces me to hip hop stuff. You know, and it's kinda, and he he really he really follows it. So yeah. Um, but he, he, he hit me to Ken- Kendrick Maher, you know, pretty
1: early on. Yeah. Are you working on uh, anything that we should be looking forward to? What's, up, what's on your uh, writing desk right now?
2: Well, uh, eventually I, I'm, going, I try, I'm going to do this opera called Greenwood 1921 about the Tulsa Race Massacre. Mm. And uh, I'm working with, my, with Talani, my cousin, who's writing the libretto. And uh, we're drawing upon different sources, including... Uh, 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 Franklin's biography, which is because he, he was born in in uh, in Tulsa, he was, he lived in Tulsa until he was nine, and so when when the race riot, race massacre happened was when he was nine years old. So uh, and his father was a lawyer in Tulsa. So that so, so I, I like to I like, that's something I like to do. I, I have another uh an a children's opera I want to do about called uh, Poncho Rabbit and the Coyote. Mm. which is about the border. It's about, a, uh, it's based on a children's book. Um, and it's about this, uh, you know, this rabbit, young rabbit in uh, Mexico, whose father is a migrant worker in California. And he decides he wants to find, you know, his father doesn't go home for Christmas. So he tries to find his father in California and the coyote takes his food in, re- in, in return for negotiating the border. So it's all about the border, and we'll have cages, and we'll have the whole thing, but all told with animals. So it'd be like kind of like Animal Farm, but right. about the about yeah. the uh, about the uh, uh, the of the border.
1: I really admire your dedication to, you know, writing music, dedicating your art to these social issues. It seems like many composers would be afraid to uh, be perceived as in a box or only only able to do one sort of thing.
2: Oh, that, that's well, I, I understand that fear. I mean, I try to do other things, too, you know, a few other things, too. But but also you have to sometimes you have to face up to what you're calling. You know, mm. what what are you supposed to do I mean that what, what you do what you can do that that's that's different and also that that has a unique unique role in, in music you know and my I found, I discovered when I was doing X and the, and because I was always fascinated by politics I was I could have been a political science major or something like that you know mm-hmm. I was I was always interested in that uh, so so a way it was way it allows me to express myself. And, and in terms of my, you know, how I look at the, the, the that world through through uh, through my music, and I, and I and it's something I find exhilarating about it. You know, it's something about telling these stories also that are that are at important junctures in in American history, particularly.
1: Yeah, I'm going to drop the links in the description of this for uh, the places on YouTube where folks can listen to both We Call the Roll" and You Have the Right to Remain Silent. Oh, great. Is, is, is there a uh, another one stop shop for people who want to learn more from you or hear more from you? Oh, uh,
2: I don't know if there is a one stop shop. I have different websites uh, for, um, well, for, to see a kind of different side of my music. Is a, a piece an opera we we'll call *Lear on the Second Floor*, which is about, based on King Lear, okay. and, and and but King Lear in this case is a woman who is suffering from early who's a neuro neuro uh, neurologist who's suffering from early onset dementia, mm. and she has three daughters vying for guardianship, so that uh, and so she you can see that opera at www dot Lear on the second with a two second floor.com.
1: Yeah. Well, Mr. Trump. Anthony Davis, I, I'm, I'm so grateful to, to have had you here uh, w- with this being uh, the week of, of so-called Thanksgiving, as I'm saying uh, this year, uh, I feel obliged to ask you, you know, what are you feeling thankful for these days? We've talked, we talk a lot about, you know, the, the hardships of being black in America as does your music. But what, what are you feeling thankful for these days? Trump lost. <laughs> straight to the point straight to the point
2: <laughs> I mean, i'm thankful for that i mean I, I mean geez i could sleep i mean my wife and i couldn't sleep and we haven't been able to sleep because of all this stuff i mean yeah i mean the, the danger of you know having a dictator was real yeah and, and uh so uh, you know i i i i think that was that was really in the forefront of my mind the last couple months um and i was you know just thankful to have my health and that my loved ones are all healthy and you know getting through this you know this dark period of time and in in our history
1: yeah having good health these days means something different than it did you know a year ago, even, you know, maybe just eight months ago. And then, you know, again, to to pull it back full circle, you know, talking about being thankful that Donald Trump lost, I, I think folks need to, you know, remember that it's things like the story of the Central Park Five that go into our understanding of who he is as a person. So it's not even just wholly um, political, you know, it's it has a lot to do with culture and history as well.
2: Oh, no. Yeah. No, someone who's able to to debase our country and debase himself in order to for his own personal gain. I mean, so I, you know, to me, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, he he's created what I would call the unpardonable sins in po- American politics.
1: Mm. Well, you know, I'll I'll, I'll leave the, the real uh, political commentary to the to the professionals over there in that <laughs> corner of the world, <laughs> Mr. Davis. Thank you so much. This has oh, been thank a pleasure.
2: you very much. Thank you, Solon. Thank <laughs>
1: Bravo to Anthony McGill, who was featured in that um, performance that I share with you streamed uh, last Friday. Um, The piece of music, once again, is called You Have the Right to Remain Silent. You can uh, learn more about that and, and, and hear it. Um, on the Cincinnati Pops website or on the YouTube uh, link that I have provided in the description. Um, You can also, um, I also encourage you to um, check out We Call the roll, which is still streaming on YouTube. I believe I'll put the uh, link there. And also the piece of music by um, Anthony Davis, The Central Park Five, um, music written in honor of Kevin Richardson, Raymond Santana, Antron McRae, Yusuf Salam, and Corey Wise. Um, Scott, I, I'm, I'm in my feelings all of a sudden just thinking about that story and thinking about the art that has come from it and our responsibility to shine a light on it and, and to make sure that we are equitably um, making sure that people understand that music and understand the narratives that the music uh, represents. It's so important. It's not It's not even just worth decoration. It's. Oh, how can I say that? That's not what I mean to say. What I mean to say is that it's not just... Um, you know sharing it for the sake of sharing it you know these are people's families who were destroyed people's right. lives right. who were destroyed you know so having music to really um, immortalize those stories so that we will never forget it's it's really important so you know it, it's nothing to um, to to overlook so a huge thanks to anthony um, McGill for playing the music, a huge thanks to Anthony Davis for being on this Opus of Triloquy. I'm really honored.
0: And to Allison
1: Van Etten for getting things lined up. Absolutely. Let's get into this last movement. You have taken the
0: land which is rightfully ours. Years from now my people will be forced to live in mobile homes on reservations. Your people will wear cardigans and drink highballs. My people will have pain and degradation. Your people
1: will have stick shifts the gods of my tribe have spoken. They have said, do not trust the pilgrims. Hearing from Wednesday Adams, <laughs> once again, we'll get to so-called Thanksgiving here in a second. But um, I just wanted to quickly say, and I almost I almost hesitate here. I almost did not um, want to say this, but I will. So... I was I had a lot of meetings uh, on the day that uh, the concert um, featuring Anthony McGill and the Anthony Davis piece uh, premiered. So I got to it uh, not at the beginning. I got to it a little late. I'm scrolling, you know, looking, and I find it, and I see the still of Anthony McGill. For folks who don't know, you know, a black clarinetist on the uh, picture of this on the image with the title of the piece of music. You have the right to remain silent. I'm expecting to dive into this black. Um, centered experience, but when I clicked on the link, you know, the orchestra was in the middle of Schubert's Unfinished Symphony. Now, what if someone who had no idea that was going on happened to see that And um, could have been hooked, could have been engaged by that music if they happened to click on and see, you know, something black being performed as opposed to Schubert's Unfinished. I'm not saying that the orchestra made the wrong decision to put it on necessarily, but what if what if the person who randomly clicked on the image of this Black musician that they see, you know, uh, ready to hear some orchestral music from some sort of Black perspective, what what if instead of that Schubert Symphony, it was um, another art song or it was an orchestral piece of music by a Black composer or something that had, you know, the sounds of jazz or blues, you know. We, We were constantly talking about hooking people in and audience development on the virtual platform, but we're being force-fed the traditions that were in the concert hall that you know we, we can't have right now.
0: My first question is, how many people are going to be able to pick out Schubert's 8th apart from the opening passage?
1: Well, I guess what my point is my, is that... Is the, that yeah.
0: a piece that hooks right. other than the opening?
1: Right. And and, and I, I I totally get your question yes I, I get that I just happen to you know know my Schubert symphonies but mm-hmm. what if um, my point is what if for the sake of developing a new audience using the imagery of a black man, everything on that concert was something that could really engage the potential new black listener, whatever that needed to be, you know, and that's for the work of the artistic directors and planners and stuff in that office. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not here to tell them what they should play. I'm just saying, what if it were something black instead of that Schubert unfinished? That's all I'm saying, especially considering that you're using the imagery of a black musician and the phrase you have the right to remain silent.
0: That's what I was going to get at is how, why the Schubert, though? I mean, it's it would be fine in a in a concert full of black composers to mm-hmm. put a European composer in for context or balance, whatever you want to say. Yeah How did the Schubert relate though?
1: I, that's what I don't understand. And maybe there was a connection that I'm not thinking of. But mm. anyway, all I'm saying is that um, and I and I actually did a, a panel last week for the League of American Orchestras on the topic of shifting from the stage to the screen, you know, how to engage audiences in that way. I'm what I'm saying. and I'm not here to drag the Cincinnati Pops Orchestra or whatever. Schubert's eighth sounded beautiful. You know, mm-hmm. um, there is an opportunity, though. In my opinion, that was missed, especially considering the imagery around what you clicked on. You right, know, I think right. we just take little things like that for granted. So, I, I, I would just encourage um, all orchestras to think about that. If the image, if the imagery of a black person is being used to um, promote, promote something, everything on that concert in my opinion, needs to speak to that. Otherwise, it's some sort of bait and switch where you get me to right. click on it, you have my click, and now I'm listening to Schubert's Unfinished. You know, is is there more equitable work that could be done there? I think so. So no shade, but consider something else, especially in my opinion, especially if you're using black imagery to promote the event. So that's that. Um, the holidays. Scott, this is a rough time of year for a lot of people. I'm challenged by the holidays. I wonder if you are as well.
0: Well, only just recently because uh, my family has started to break off and do their own traditions. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and there's drama uh, among some of my siblings. So uh, it has always to me been an exercise in how many spots can you hit in a certain amount of time. You know, now that, COVID has settled in, I think it is going to give people the break that they needed, excuse me, the break that they needed, because let's face it, with this election and all the business going on up, there's plenty of people who have their drama with their families, and it'd be good to spend one, I think with a a smaller scale. Maybe you can focus in on your own gratitude that way, because this, you know, we were talking earlier about this time of year is hard for some people. Anyway, Uh, I fall in and out of that category and I'm struggling right now. Um, I perk up to do the podcast because, you know, this is part of the enjoyable bits, right? But then after it's done, I got to go right back into the locker, the hurt locker uh, and dealing with, feelings and emotions so uh i guess what i'm saying is that um if you're struggling i'm right there with you i see you do whatever you have to do to get through it uh check out the triloquy tracks playlist that'd be a good way Better to need
1: to update um i want to shout out uh kevin and jess you know you used the word gratitude i uh del and i uh zoomed with them uh, over the over this past weekend. And we got on a conversation of the what is the worst life condition. And, you know, we were getting deep into, you know, what some of uh, they're not Buddhist, but, you know, talking about what some Buddhist monks said about, you know, the worst life condition, mm-hmm. the worst situation you can be in. And where we where the conversation took us was ingratitude. I've been living personally I've been uh, trying to focus my life on gratitude, really being thankful for every situation, being thankful for For having gotten fired from my job, being thankful for uh, the restrictions that COVID has put on the way we can move around, you know, being Mm. stuck in the house, having to be, you know, more focused on independent work than I ever have been, you know, being grateful to um, get to hang out with you, you know, um, have you in in our bubble or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. so um, you know talking about ingratitude as the worst life condition i know that um, this time of year is rough it's rough for me because quite honestly it makes me think about the relationship that i wish that i could have with my family you know being sure. being far away That's and you natural. know i wish i could be there every holiday and everyone is everyone's uh, every single birthday and every graduation or whatever but unfortunately i just can't be and the holidays reminds me of that How I don't spend as much time with my family um, as I wish I could, but um, I can't focus in on that negative feeling, that ingratitude, because that really creates a life condition that's opposite than what I'm trying to live. So I'm grateful uh, for all of the challenges, and um, I'm grateful for what they will help me overcome so that that's those are my words that's my true and real for people just to you know try to be thankful for something and i know we call this thing thanksgiving but you know if there is something to be grateful for i mean obviously for you scott you got radar yes you you have all these guitars down here hell (laughs) you have the you have the internet it's folks that don't have the internet you know that's true you can look at all of the um whatever you look at on the internet you want (laughs) that's
0: true and you know uh, what I'm, what I want to impress on you is that if you're feeling down right now, if you're wrestling with something, and you do take those steps toward gratitude, and and if it doesn't change your mood, don't worry about it. Okay, it's that act, and yeah, it's it's not meant to change your mood. It's probably just you, it's something you got to ride out. And let's face it, we've been through some shit this year, everybody. And then you add on your own personal stuff on top of it. I'm going to say it right now. You're doing great. You're doing awesome. I Keep agree. it up.
1: I agree. I am thankful. You know, talk about gratitude, what we're thankful for. I'm thankful for all the listeners. You know, I'll say, I, maybe I said it at the, at the front of this, um, but I'll say it again now. I'm thankful for y'all. Y'all, y'all are keeping this going, um, making it uh, more and more relevant every week, you know, getting um, shout outs from um, big names, getting Pulitzer Prize winning composers Amazing. on the show. So, yeah, you yeah. know, um, we're doing it now for the, you know, now, now that we've gotten the, we've had our cranberry sauce. Now it was something that's sort of sharp on the Thanksgiving plate, some pepper, something, some hot sauce or something. That's something that's spicy. Um <laughs> We, In this part of the country? <laughs> no, I'm, I'd be on this podcast. Oh, I was going to say, I'll go, get the, funny. I'll go get the ketchup <laughs> but, but, for you. But that is funny. Um, so... We weren't even allowed, and maybe I've said this on the podcast before, growing up, we weren't really even allowed to call the holiday Thanksgiving because we should be thankful every day, as Mm -hmm. my mom would say. But also, look at what they teach us in school about it. Who of, you know, I'm 33, you're 50, you know, there's a generation between us, but even so, we were all fed that same crock of nonsense about pilgrims and Indians and, you know, coming together and surviving X, Y, and Z. Okay, so... I'm not even going to bother talking about, you know, the actual start of Thanksgiving as a holiday. And of course, you know, the what folks have done to the indigenous populations of North America, as much as I want to drive the point. As far from the truth as that story they teach us all in kindergarten and first grade, dressing us up as Indians and pilgrims, so-called Indians. If that is as far from the truth as it is, imagine what we could really discover about what we're doing here with classical music, really shifting the gears, really interrogating the traditions that have brought us where they are. If the pilgrims and Indian story is that wrong, consider if what you learned about classical music, so-called classical music is as wrong and as far from the real equitable truth. What if we could all be that curious, Scott? What if we could all have that spirit of just change and, um, and and making things different? we We'd have a completely different field, wouldn't we?
0: We'd have a different podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't even have to be here, probably. We'll be talking about something else. <laughs> um, before I go, before we hit the gong, listen. I know y'all want to see me, Ma. I know y'all want to see Grandma. I know that there's a lot of language about the war over Thanksgiving with certain states um, having restrictions and, and lockdowns and things. If you want to actually fucking see Mom, next year, you need to stay at home, please. COVID is real. See y'all next week. <laughs>